the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's 4 o'clock. Well, a half a minute before 4 o'clock. Southern California Live on KKLA. I'm Bob Lapine. Thanks for tuning in this afternoon. Uh, I want to tell you a story. This was uh, the fall of 1971. Fall of 71. So those of you who are going, that's a long time ago. That was long before I was born. All right. Pipe down, youngsters. Uh, I was a sophomore in high school in the fall of of 71. I'd just begun as a high school student. I was new. And uh, one day on on my way to class, uh, Debbie Rose, who was a senior, um, talked to me. She said, um, you're a sophomore, right? I said, yeah. She said, you should, you should come over to my house on Tuesday night. We're having Young Life at my house. You should come. Well, first of all, when you're a sophomore and a cute senior girl talks to you, it's like, yeah, whatever you say, I'm going to do. Because she was popular. I, I was new. I mean, right? I didn't know what Young Life was, but... I was going to be there to find out. So the next Tuesday night, I was at Debbie Rose's house for for my very first time going to a Young Life club. And I was in Young Life then for the next three years, in, involved with it. Uh, but but this is not so much about Young Life as it is about what happened that first night. They passed out songbooks to us, and the songbooks that they passed out had all courts, all sorts of interesting. I mean, it had popular folk songs in it. It had Bob Dylan stuff in it. And and um, they started teaching us songs that I'd never heard before that were, were these interesting, fun songs that we sang at Young Life Club. And I remember one of them, there was one that was called Look All Around You. And in fact, I think Wil- Wilbur's going to get this queued up for you. Let-, let me tell a story before we play this. In this song, the chorus says, touch someone near you in love if you can. And whenever we do that, they would shout out a number and you had to reach you had to reach around and touch that number of people. So it was a way to get, you know, they- we were high school kids, right? So you do that kind of stuff when you're with high school kids. But it- do we have it? Can we play a little of uh, Look All Around You? Do you have a little of that queued up here? I think I think we're we may be fumbling to see if we can get this on the air. I don't know if we can. All right, all right. We've got the one sec technical standby. Standby as we experience a few technical glitches here to try to pull this up. We have to get past the ads at the beginning of the YouTube here, because this you will not get this on your Spotify account. You got to go to YouTube to find this. And maybe it's not going to work for us, huh? We're we're trying. Well, we we were singing it. We were we were all scrambling to touch someone, and and this was just one of the songs in the songbook that we we were learning and singing. There we go. Now we hear it. All right. So 
We're we're singing that that perfect. We were singing that in our in our Young Life uh, group, and that that sounds sixties, doesn't it? Right. And and I didn't know anything about that song or where it came from. I looked down at the bottom of the page. It said it was written by a guy named John Fisher. And you got to remember, in '71, there was no contemporary Christian music. I mean, Larry Norman had put out "Upon This Rock," but nobody knew about that unless you were a diehard. There was some stuff going on in Costa Mesa at Calvary, but you had to live out here to know that and be a part of that scene. But in high school. In living rooms, in high schools, everybody was singing Look All Around You, an all-day song, and we were singing The Lord's Prayer done to to uh, new music, and the, the name that was in common there was the name John Fisher. And as it turns out, that album that you were hearing a cut from, an album called The Cold Cathedral that was released a few months before Larry Norman released Upon This Rock, and I'm saying all of this because if you've ever heard people say the first real contemporary Christian music album was Larry Norman's Upon This Rock, I say, I, I beg to differ. It was the Cold Cathedral recorded by John Fisher in Chicago in late 1968. And it just so happens that John Fisher, who lives here in Southern California, is on the line with us this afternoon. We, we have – so, John, first of all, welcome – to the, to the program. Thank you for joining us. <laughs> of course. Thank you, Bob. Good to be with you again. Here, here I am uh, announcing you as the uh, precursor to Larry Norman. Larry Norman heard you and then said, I got to do what John Fisher is doing, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, we were close. We were close. Actually, from pretty much the same area. I was in uh, Palo Alto and he was in San Jose that time. Yeah, you grew up in California. You went to Wheaton, and in fact, you recorded uh-huh. Cold Cathedral while you were a student at Wheaton. Is that right? Well, I know I had just graduated. Okay. It was uh, I graduated in May of 1969, and two weeks later, uh, I was recording. I just stayed in town and um, and recorded in Chicago. And the backup musicians were from the Old Town School of Folk, folk Music. It was a, it was a, actually a, uh, a, a Catholic company uh, record, uh, that recorded it. And that's because the, uh, the evangelicals weren't ready yet. Word Records wasn't ready yet. They, it, they, it, Folk masses, yeah. folk masses were a big deal in the sixties. Right. The, the the Protestants hadn't caught up, but but the Catholic Church was hungry for Peter Paul and Mary style songs that they could work into their folk masses, weren't they? That's right. That's right. They're, they were, the folk masses were very very popular, and I think I think in a way that's where the Jesus movement began. A lot of people don't know that, but. Uh, that's where uh, I think it, it got going. If it, if, a, if a priest came out with a guitar and started singing songs, it was just like a sister act. You know, I mean, it, it was for real, for real. Yeah. Well, and the song "They Know We Are Christians by Our Love" was written by right. a priest right there in Chicago. Right? Isn't that right? That's right. Yes. Yes. So I, I just I want to ask because because in the '60s writing folk songs about Jesus, I don't know anybody that was doing that other than you. Did you, just in college, did you go, I'm going to start writing songs about Jesus that that have this style that I'm used to and that I like? Well, um, if we got time for a quick story. Yeah. Uh, when I was a sophomore, 
that would have been 1963. Uh, in wait a minute, in high school, 1963, okay. a sophomore in high school. Uh, I was 16 years old. I I was driving the family car, 57 Ford, to prayer meeting at my church, and uh, uh, we had this incredible uh, experience with God that particular night, um, which is unusual for high school kids, but it, it, it happened, and I walked out of that group feeling very like God was right, you know, in my back pocket, very close, and I got in my car and started the engine, and on came uh, uh, the Beatles, uh, I Want to Hold Your Hand. And, uh, you know, I reached to turn off the music because I was from a, uh, I, I was from a background where rock and roll was uh, not okay right. for a Christian. And, uh, and so suddenly I felt this conflict. You know, here I'm feeling close to God, and the Beatles are on the radio. And so <laughs> I reached to turn it off, and I kid you not, a force, a, a force, a real physical force in my car stopped me from reaching the dial. And I could not figure, what, what is this? What, I had no other conclusion than to think that God was doing something. Hmm. And, and yet, why would God keep me from, from, you know, turning off this bad music? And uh, uh, a conversation kind of took place in, in my heart, which was basically God asking me uh, why I was turning it off. <laughs> and I was going, well, because I'm not supposed to listen to it. And, that, and, uh, and he goes, well, do you like this music? And, and I go, yes. And, and he goes, well, how does it make you feel? And, and I said, it makes me feel happy. And he says, how do I make you feel? <laughs> I said, you make me feel happy. Well, write me the music. And I swear, that's where the light went on. Wow. I didn't do anything about it. I didn't do anything about it for five years, probably. About 1967 or so, I started experimenting with writing. But it, that, that was where the light went on. And I tell you, it was a lot of people, yeah, I, I probably was one of the first, but but that light was going on all over the place, as mm -hmm. I found out later, with yeah, people like me. And not only here, but uh, all over, the at least the Western world, I ran into a guy from Sweden named Ingmar Olsen, who had a similar type of experience right about the same time I did, and he started experimenting with with the music. It, it was basically uh, a strong desire to want to express our love for Christ uh, and the truth of the gospel in the vernacular of our culture, and no one had done it. It, it, it had not been done before, and and yet. We were we were listening to songs, you know. And not all the songs on the radio were stupid, you know. I mean, they were really good. There were some real searching songs and crying out songs and protest songs and and people, if if they're expressing their heart, you know, then why 
why aren't we expressing our heart about who God is and what he's done in revealing Christ to us? So that's, uh, that's where it all started. So you had a guitar, you'd been learning guitar, and like, were you playing hymns and other church music on your guitar? No, 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 I was just, no, I was probably playing Peter, Paul, and Mary. Okay, all right. And uh, Bob Dylan and picking up the songs as best as I could. And yeah. and when you wrote your first song about Jesus, so now you're now you're in college, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And and did you go to your friends, your roommates, and say, "Hey, listen to this. What do you think?" Yeah, oh yeah. And uh, uh, as a matter of fact, my roommate and I at Wheaton uh, in the last couple of years, and especially the last year. Um, we started singing my songs. I had written quite a few by then. And uh, we, well, you mentioned Young Life. Uh, we started singing them in Youth for Christ clubs right. all over Chicago, which is a similar thing to, to Young Life. And um, as soon as we sang in one, one of, you know, we were singing in all of them because uh, everybody wanted to have us come because no one was doing it. And the the music was just, you know, striking a chord with, with the young people like crazy. I never heard anything like it before. Because there wasn't anything like it before. I mean, you stop, no. you stop and think 1968, Ralph Carmichael was doing some church music stuff that was a little edgy, and some churches weren't sure what to make about it. Were you aware of that when, when you were writing your songs? Uh, a little bit. Some of that, yeah. You know, uh, he's everything to me. Right. Uh, pass it, pass it on. Uh-huh. Two big ones. Um, I, I, yeah, I probably might have been aware of some of that. Honestly, I think that no, I, I think I heard heard that stuff later. Okay. I, I honestly don't think I was aware of anything um, when I started doing what I was doing. Uh, no, I, I wasn't aware of anybody else doing it or I wasn't following anybody. It's it's pretty heady stuff to graduate from Wheaton and have somebody say, hey, can you stay around for a few weeks because we want to record an album with you. <laughs> I mean, were you just going, yeah. what is, that had to blow your mind back then. Well, yeah, yeah, certainly it did. And uh, I didn't understand all that was going on uh, at that time. But... Uh, you know, it wasn't long until I figured out what God was doing, and he had just handed me the music before it really happened. I mean, the Jesus movement, I think, started right around uh, 70, late 69, 70, which is right, right when I got to uh, Palo Alto, California, as an intern at a church there. And... Um, uh, I already had I already had one album, and I, by 1970, uh, 70, I had my second album. So I had all this stuff already going, and um, that's what was so great about it. I, I, be, I realized that God had prepared me ahead of time for what was coming. You, you uh, interned, was it Ray Stedman's church where you interned? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, yes. and were you on... The, the worship team, the music team, or what was your job? Well, you know, they they didn't, we didn't even call it worship then. Uh, we didn't use the word that way, the way it's used today. Right. Um, 
I was, well, by 19, late 70, maybe 71, uh, Peninsula Bible Church had a service called Body Life on Sunday nights. Mm-hmm. And um, we called it that because it was the, the church had been teaching um, for a long time about spiritual gifts and, and that everybody, that the church is really everybody ministering to one another. And the pastors began to say, wait a minute, why are we doing all the work uh, when these people, when their people, God has equipped people to minister to one another, so why aren't we getting a chance to do that? So they had this, they changed their evening service to just throw it open to the people to reach out to one another and and speak to one another and pray for one another and, you know, small messages, all that. It was just wide open. And I was in charge of the music uh, at that service. And uh, so it was, yeah, it was just grab what you can. I was singing my own songs there. It was obviously a a ready-made platform for my music at that time. And, uh, but then there were other people picking up on it and, uh, you know, wasn't long before we had this new group from Southern California come and, and sing. So they wanted to sing for us. And, uh, uh, you know, one of the pastors said, well, we've got to hear you first. Um, you know, and so they auditioned, uh, about an hour before the service, and uh, that's when I first heard Love Song singing Welcome Back. And uh, they they sing Welcome Back, and we were all crying. It, yes. It, you know, it's just amazing what was... And people coming through, Hal Lindsey was speaking, Eldridge Cleaver spoke in one of our Body Life services. Wow. You know, I mean, it, people were coming through, uh, mus- musicians. I... I uh, started to throw together uh, some groups of the musicians in our church, and we started singing, you know, doing concerts and that. It was just, uh, we were all flying by the seat of our pants. It was really fun. That's all I can say. It was fun. We're talking with John Fisher, uh, recording artist, author. Uh, I want you to update folks on what you're doing now, but before, before I have you do that, I mean, I'm just thinking back to what was going on in the late 60s, in the early 70s, we look back on it now and talk about the Jesus movement, and we look at where we are today and think, uh, it's it's not, we could use another Jesus movement in our day today. What, John, as you look at the church and look at where we are today, uh, what can we learn from what God was doing in the late 60s and early 70s, and what can we be praying about in our day? Oh, boy. Uh, well, you struck a chord with me right there, because uh, we uh, right now I have a community. Uh, I'm doing an on, basically an online church, and uh, we have about 4,000 people that I, I write to every, every day, every morning. I put out an article, uh, and uh, it's called The Catch of the Day, and we... Um, we are, we are also bringing together uh, some of the. Uh, well, you were talking to me. Randy Stonehill just called me. Yeah. Uh, we're, we're, uh, we're. Uh, we had Barry McGuire last week. Um, wow. We're going to have Randy uh, this week. We, you know, a number of the some of those early Jesus people 
we are we're grabbing them again, not not to try and do the same thing, but to say, you know, what these were voices. These were not just musicians. These were these were prophets. Mm. These were these were voices that were speaking, you know, fifty years ago, and uh, uh, they they were gifted. What are they saying now? Mm. What are they saying to the church today? And what is our message? And uh, so we're we're seeking to bring these voices back uh, together, and we're doing some of it online. We're uh, we're trying whatever way we can to wake up uh, to wake up people and and get. You know, the point is, this was this was a free act of the Holy Spirit. God moved and. Um, we got to give him room to move. You you can't you can't plan the Holy Spirit. You know you can plan a meeting. You can you can have some space and say, okay, God, speak to us. Uh, but if you really want to make something happen, you you got to have some 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 fluid movement. You got to have some freedom, and that's really. Uh, what we're seeking to do, to do and to bring back uh, right now, because we think a, a lot of the younger people maybe are just, you know, we, we've been through Christ, all, all, all the changes you can imagine in contemporary Christian music over 50 years. Right. We've, we've been, everything has turned into almost all worship now, and uh, we, you know, there's not many prophetic messages of being sung uh, like they were 50 years ago. And so uh, I, I'm, I'm trying to encourage people to, uh, to speak into the culture and, and not just to speak to Christians and not just to speak worship. Uh, I love worship. It's great. But we have a message uh, to get out, we are the voice of Christ to the next generation, and we need to get the message out and experiment on how we can do that. We're talking with uh, John Fisher this afternoon, recording artist, author, uh, and, and really going back to what God was doing uh, back when John was in his early twenties, back at the uh, the beginning of the Jesus movement, and what we need to see God do again in our day. We're going to continue the conversation, continue with John. You're welcome to join us at 888-52-TALKS, 888-528-2557. Join the conversation, and we'll continue it in just a minute. Stay with us. Southern California Live on KKLA. That's uh, all day song from John Fisher, who's joining us this afternoon. Was that was that on Still Life? Was that on your second album, John? Yeah, yeah. So, Still Life was actually my thir- third album. And, Cold uh, Cathedral, and then what was Naphtali next? No, no. Cold Cathedral, and then Have You Seen Jesus, My Lord? Those were oh. the two. Uh, uh, with FEL Publications, the Catholic company. And then uh, Still Light was my first on Light Records with Ralph Comical. I did five five albums uh, on Light Records. And that song, 70s. All Day Song, 
I think back of that, if if I'm thinking as what was the John Fisher song in the early 70s that yeah. most people knew, that was it, wasn't it? Yeah, it's, it, it, it is. Yeah, it's the most popular one because it's so, it's so easy to learn and everybody sang it. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and you kind of chuckle at that because did, did yeah. you have a sense that that was maybe just one of those little throwaway jingles that you wrote as opposed mm-hmm. to something that was deep and substantive and meaningful? Yeah. Yeah, it was kind of like a ditty. I carried it around for a while. I, I never had more than one verse because I never took it seriously. <laughs> um, yeah, but then over the years, you look at it and you say, "Well, not quite, not not really just a ditty." I mean, it's it's uh, in the in between time when you feel the pressure coming. You know, remember that he loves you and he promises to stay has gotten a lot of people through a lot of tough times. Yeah, he ain't in a hurry. He's always got time for you, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when you got a recording deal with Ralph Carmichael on Light Records, again, we're not talking about uh, stretch limousines now and, and expensive budgets no. and you were living the life. What was it like to be a record a, a CCM recording artist in the early 70s? <laughs> Well, actually, we already had that album pretty much done in the can. Um, we had had, I'd gotten to know musicians and an arranger in LA and a uh, couple people who really had a vision and wanted my music to be as good as it possibly could and uh, got me with an arranger named Clark Gassman who knew all of the studio musicians, some of the best ones, and studios and the like. So we had all the resources to do that album, Still Life, ourselves, without any record company, hmm. which we did. I, I had about 10 guys um, come behind me and and uh, each put $1,000 in, and we went as far as $10,000 could get us <laughs> in 1972 or three. And uh, we were recording, I mean, uh, our engineer uh, was uh, Steve Olson, Keith Olson, excuse me, who was engineering this album with me during the day. And at night he was doing Buckingham Nicks with Stevie Nicks. And And Lindsey Buckingham, uh, yeah, wow. And, uh, And actually he went on to be the guy who engineered their very famous sound. He, mm. he was he was amazing. And uh, some of the best musicians in the business played on Still Life. And so uh, that was that was really great. And where Ralph Carmichael came in was we had we had this all pretty much done. We just we needed a little more money to finish it off and to do it right and then we didn't have any distribution. And so uh uh, we played it for for Ralph, and he loved it. And he said, "We'll do it." And so he took it over from that spot wow. from there on, and uh, and created it into you know something. We were talking about what yeah. what what God was doing back then, and just to, to what extent is what we do in the church musically a part of the overall picture of how the Spirit works in our world? Do you think? What we do in the church musically as a part of what's going on in the world, I don't think a whole lot. Uh, although, as of late, 
with people, some of the people as artists and some of the people like Lauren Daigle, uh, who are crossing over and making an impact in the wider culture, I think that's making some inroads, and that's good. Um, uh, I, I think Christian music has diversified. For a while, it was just its own thing. It was like, kind of, it existed in a totally in a subculture, and the world right. didn't know anything about it. And to a large extent, that's going on now, except that uh, a lot of a lot of the, uh, the 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 music is more. I guess you could say it's gotten so good that um, uh, the world is more and more interested in hearing what's going on, and uh, so I think they're asking lots of questions and wondering what what this stuff is. But uh, yeah, it's it's the quality um, that has created more uh, a wider audience we've got some callers who want to join us and uh i want to talk to sarah first if we can uh by the way you can join us at 888-52-TALKS uh sarah from whittier is on the line with us sarah welcome to uh to southern california live thanks for calling thank you it's good to be there yeah so uh, you uh you go back to these days with us right i go yeah I'm, 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 um, yeah, I go back. My oldest brother's about the same age as John and probably was in church together with him. Really? <laughs> yes. In, in uh, Northern California, up in Palo Alto? No, he, it was in Pasadena. Okay, so you, you okay. came down here to Pasadena, John, right? I, I grew up in Pasadena. I grew oh. up in San Gabriel and, uh, went to church in my early, all the way through high school. Uh, I went to Lake Avenue Church in Pasadena. Yeah. And is that where is your that brother what we're was, Sarah? About, Sarah? Oh, yeah. Yeah. He would, um, yeah. I, my parents went to, I grew up at Lake Avenue and I, my parents were there until, um, 2007. I started wow. going there when I was three, but I'm the youngest of six kids. So my brother Tim, he would know. You probably also know my brother Steve. Um, we were a Davis family. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> well, and of course, well, Lake Avenue fabulous. was a, Lake Avenue is a huge church. That was when when the or, when Ray Ortland was pastoring, right? Right. Absolutely. So, so Sarah, yeah. did you ever hear John sing? Oh, absolutely! I yes, yes, I can remember. You know, of course, we sat in the front row, my family. And I remember he was, like, really one of the first to bring an acoustic guitar, actually any guitar, into the sanctuary <laughs> to be able to do a little bit more contemporary music. Um, and I, I have his album, you know, Cold Cathedral. I remember getting that. Um, so wow. it's it's kind of cool to be able to hear you, John, and to be able to hear a little bit more because, you know, after you left Lake, you know, obviously your parents were still there. You know, you weren't there very often, um, but it's it's cool to know that you're still doing amazing stuff with music that is culturally appropriate and sensitive, and you know, just just still worshiping God in ways that will be appropriate for the culture. John, yeah. are you st are yeah. you still writing songs and recording? Are when was the last time you wrote uh, a song and turned on your tape recorder? 
Well, I wrote a song a few weeks ago, actually, and that, but that was the first time in a long time because I've had a, a bit of a, a physical setback. I've, I won't go into it, but I got a, the end result, I've, my left hand is pretty numb. So oh. I can't, I really can't play guitar much anymore. Um, wow. I am, I am working, working back and doing a lot of therapy and trying to get it back. And uh, I can chunk out some some stuff, and I I did a song that way. But uh, most I I have turned in the last I'd say ten fifteen years to uh, mostly writing, um, writing articles, know, writing blog posts, writing articles, books, blogs. Yeah, right. Well, and and writing has been I mean that that's in your wheelhouse because I'm thinking back to right. the column that you wrote in CCM magazine for years. Uh, books that you've written over the years. In fact, there's, there's a poem that you wrote that I remember reading there. And there was a a book came out called real Christians don't dance. And the don't was X'd out. And, (laughs) and uh, it was a collection of essays and poems that you wrote. And one of them was called the ins and outs of it. And, and when we come back, can you pull that up and, and just read that poem for us? Would you do that? Of course. I'd be happy jo- to. John Fisher is joining us this afternoon. You're welcome to join us as well. 888-52-TALKS is the number. 888-528-2557. We'll take your calls and hear John uh, recite a little original poetry after this time out. Stay with us. You're listening to Southern California Live on KKLA. That's John Fisher and the Lord's Prayer from back in the late 60s. John joining us on Southern California Live here on KKLA. I'm Bob Lapine. That's always been one of my favorites. When we sang that at Young Life, that was, uh, although I, I, I wound up hearing about six different melodies for that, depending on which Young Life Club I wound up going to, John. That one got that got yeah. butchered. as it, it Kind of like the game Telephone. Every time it was sung in a new place, yeah. it was sung with a little different melody. Yeah, we've got uh, we, we've got Jane joining us on the line from uh, Long Beach this afternoon. You're welcome to call us at eight 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 fifty two talks. Jane, thanks for calling in. Welcome to Southern California Live. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Um, I am a child of the Fisher and Lapine generation. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and I have um, I have a daughter and son who I and I have such a heart for the next generation and the confusion of the that that's in the American church right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I just tuned in just as you were closing the previous segment on Mars Hill Church and but I have done and I find sad I missed it, but I've done a, a fair amount of research on that subject because I really love the music that's come from that ministry as well as many other ministries um, that are considered, you know, false teaching ministries that have been huge in, you know, the last several years. And, you know, my husband is a musician and a worship leader, and he's very guarded now. Um, this is really a hot topic, an emotional topic for me. Um, but, you know, about the songs that you should be listening to and participating in, you know, if the birth of the music and the musicians and the bands are from one of these churches. Hmm. And, um, 
And, you know, if they haven't publicly renounced their association with that church, then, you know, are we participating somehow or participating, I mean, or perpetuating a false ministry? And and I just, I just feel like, you know, we, can't, we came from a ministry um, that we really gave our heart to that elevated, that we realized in hindsight, that elevated feelings and experience over, like, biblical consecration. And, yeah. and as they, you know, started to turn to Bob Bell-type influenced teaching and very progressive and socially political and so we're guarded now. But, you know, I, on the other hand, I worry that, you know, you talked about that you've got a ministry going now, Bob Fisher, that, you know, is, is wants to make place for the Holy Spirit to move freely and things like that. And I just worry that if Southern California did experience another Jesus revival, you know, we would miss it. Hmm. Because I feel like I've got this legalistic yoke that we've placed ourselves around our neck, but it's, there's just, what do we do, you know? And But I also feel like your generation is the generation who's teaching my my daughter right now in in university all of these crazy, crazy notions and ideas that are, um, yeah, that are quite crazy and progressive that came out of the 60s. So uh, so a lot to unpack here. Let, let, let me throw this to John. Well, and John, you, you, yeah. just react to what you've heard uh, Jane say here. Well, uh, obviously she has brought up a number of issues, but uh, the one that stood out to me was... Uh, the, this whole idea of the music and where where the music came out of and was it associated with a, a church that was uh, less than truthful or uh, you see I, I think music is a uh, music can stand alone uh, I think uh, art art forms can stand alone they they're created by by people through whom the Lord works, and uh, they can be, they can come out of any kind of association. Uh, for instance, there were a lot of songs in the uh, in the '60s that were not even written by Christians. That yeah. that were songs that were pointing people to Christ. Believe it or not, I mean, you know, Creedence Clearwater was <laughs> singing about Bad Moon Rising and and the end of the end times. And Peter, Paul, and Mary, Paul was not a Christian yet. They were singing about everybody going to pray on the very last day. And, uh, you know, so the point is, I, I remember there was a big controversy when we first started recording, as a matter of fact, with L.A. musicians. And what if, what if the people who are playing on our album aren't Christians? You know, are they going to... Uh, put a bad influence in is Satan going to creep into the uh, grooves of the record somehow, you know, <laughs> and all this kind of stuff was going on. And, and uh, no, because uh, talent and art comes from the abil- God-given ability. God gave that. And uh, uh, you got to look at the song. If the song is true and it's right, it doesn't matter what church it's associated with. It's a great song. Use it. Play it. And uh, I, I think that we've got to free up, uh, certainly, uh, on, on that kind of basis. And I, I would say most often uh, the music from some of these churches is, is, is probably fine. 
Here, here's the, the only caveat I'd throw at that is sometimes a song can become so associated with a ministry or with a particular church that you can't hear the song without thinking about the the origin, where it comes from. And if it's that close, I mean, every time I hear Just As I Am, I think of Billy Graham, right? So there there right. can be, and, and there's nothing wrong with Billy Graham. I'm just saying there's such a close association there. So if if a song is so closely tied to a particular uh, movement or a particular idea that that uh, hearing the song triggers that, I think you've got to be careful. But you know the the song that we all sing, "It Is Well with My Soul." The the guy who wrote that went off the deep end theologically after he wrote that song, and and wound up being he he was not no longer orthodox. So we got to be real careful. We we can wind up uh, having to scrub some stuff out of the hymnal that we love and that God is still using to minister to a lot of people sure. because because somebody uh, went went left. I think is the association so strong there that people when they hear that song all they can think about is the apostasy or the bad teaching and and that would be the thing that I'd I'd say there's a caveat. But but I think you're right. The art stands on its own and if the art is true and beautiful and good then then I think we can uh, we can lift that up and and even detach it from the the songwriter there. Uh, Mary Ann or excuse me Marlene's going to join us as well this afternoon. Marlene in Pasadena, welcome to Southern California Live. Thank you. Well, I wanted to say uh greetings to um <laughs> to John Fisher. <laughs> Thank you. As a senior moment here, John Fisher. <laughs> John, um, I, I knew you since you were born, because I've been at Lake continuously for 80 years. And I wow. uh, sang under your father's um, uh, direction, you know, in the choir over a 60-year oh period. So I bought all of your recordings through your mother. <laughs> and uh, the All Day Song is one of my favorites, and I sing it frequently, you know, and, and have been... Yeah. Thinking of you and wondering, you know, what you mm-hmm. were doing, where you were, and so uh, since I listened to KKLA most all day, every day, uh, yeah. here you were. So <laughs> yeah, God bless yeah, you for what you're doing. May I, Marlene, may I ask your name? What is your name? Yes, uh, my maiden name was Lamb. Uh, Bernard and Vera Lamb were my parents, and uh, okay. Uh, yeah, and uh, my That's last nice name is McKitty now. Oh, <laughs> uh, okay, okay. Well, listen, hey, uh, Bob, may I give my website for people? Please do, yeah. Folks want to connect with you and find out what you're up to and, yeah. and, and sign up to get the, the catch of the day. Where do they go? Yes, yes, they go to Catch John Fisher. That's it. C-A-T-C-H, John, J-O-H-N, and then my name. Just remember to put the C in there, F-I-S-C-H-E-R dot com catchjohnfisher.com and you can find out what we're doing you can download some some of my music we're trying to get most of it up there we've got about two or three albums right now uh that have been digitalized and and remixed so we're working on getting that uh down but uh you can also sign up uh for my catch of the day and uh i'd love to have you join Join our community. Um, it's a, very, a lot of exciting things going on. We've got. I we're even doing church Sunday night on uh, Facebook, live Facebook. So, uh, and I got a. I have my own radio interview show on Tuesday nights, Bob, uh, Blog Talk Radio. So 
it's fun. A lot there, there we go. I hope folks will connect with you. I was, I was going to have you read a poem, and we're not going to have time for it. But I, I want, oh. I, I want to point people to this because I remember John when you when you wrote this the first time I read it, trying to wrestle with. Uh, what should our engagement with the culture as Christians be? How do we stay unstained from the world? And yet, how do we think missionally and engage with the culture? And you wrote a poem called The Ins and Outs of It that folks can just, if you Google John Fisher, Ins and Outs, this poem will come up and you can read it. But it was really your attempt to say, um, in it and of it, that doesn't work. Not in it or of it doesn't work. Uh, we, we it, it, the last the last stanza of it was was Jesus is thinking people didn't hear what I was saying. We've got to be in it, but not of it, and and we got to figure out how to yeah. do that, don't we? Yeah, yeah. That that's the challenge, and but it's also the fun part. Yeah, is, uh, 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 being in and the thing that makes it tough is it, it, it creates conflict. It, it, obviously, we're going to be in conflict, uh, but that's that's what the fun is to try and work that out. And, well, this uh, creative dialogue. Yeah, this has been a delight this afternoon to catch up with you and to revisit some of the early history. And uh, I appreciate you taking time to join us. And uh, best to you. And I hope folks will check out your website, John. Great, John yes. Fisher joining us this afternoon on KKLA Live on, on Southern California Live. I'm I'm Bob Lapine. Thank you for being with us as well. And uh, join us again tomorrow. We'll do this all again. We'll see you then. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for donald trump to hire i find out the worst enemy that i'm going to face in my life is right here in america they took my assessment and they wanted me to change it i was like i'm not changing it they had to get rid of flynn with in-depth interviews archival footage and never before seen personal record to the man behind the headlines i just felt like i was drowning flynn deliver the truth whatever the cost available now watch it today go to salemnow.com salemnow.com